0: Hi, everybody, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Compliant with Alliant. We're going to bring you some new insights into employee benefits compliance today. I'm here with Diana Craig. Hey, guys. And I'm Christine Blanco. I'm director of the compliance uh, department here at Alliant Employee Benefits. And so today we have some really important key points we want to talk to you about. Um, We had a webinar at the end of last year, we've been putting out some information on this and then as always we like to sort of round this out with a podcast because it's just our most practical way to discuss, you know, talk through sort of these new requirements. And today we're going to talk about the Consolidated Appropriations Act and what in particular, Diana?
1: Oh, uh, Broker and Consultant Compensation Disclosure Requirements. All right, you may have heard about that and so there's a
0: little bit of a meta thing happening here because of course it's a compliance obligation for you guys. And it's something that we have to do for you.
1: Yeah, and I think um, one of the reasons this has been just a little bit overlooked is that there was a lot in the Consolidated Appropriations Act. I mean, that just came down and hit like a ton of bricks. It had. Well, you can
0: speak for yourself.
1: I've been looking at it for a long, long time. <laughs> <laughs> but but we really, you know, out of the gate, we were focusing on mental health parity, non, uh, non-quantitative non treatment limits. We had cafeteria plan relief that required immediate action. We have pharmacy reporting um, and, and complex transparency rules. So there was so much that was sort of, I, I feel like taking the spotlight there. Well,
0: and also for group health plans, this is something you're sort of passively set up to receive.
1: It's not something that actively necessarily has to happen on their part, right? So... Yeah, yeah, and, and how we've really sort of, of folded this in is we've We've included it in all of our transparency materials, but sometimes you're reading our transparency materials, and by the time you get to this, you've probably glazed over just yeah, a little bit. Let's hope so, because, you know, other, other, if you're still sticking with it, that's sad. So
0: tell us a little bit about the the legislative background, and then I'll kind of run into run into the practical
1: stuff. Perfect. So again, this is part of the Consolidation uh, Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021, which we call the CAA. It added a new compensation disclosure requirement for brokers and consultants working with ERISA-covered group health plans, and we basically were looking at, um, you know, it's a little bit of a random effective date. It was December 27th, 2021, Um, but the thing that's really important here is it, it puts an obligation on brokers and consultants to make these disclosures to clients, and if we don't do that, the client has actually been deemed to have engaged in a prohibited transaction and that is a breach of fiduciary duty yeah. but there there's a lot of sort of nuance here chris why is this new why is this different okay so It is new in this group health plan space. I do want to
0: make a note that those of you who have retirement plans, this has been around in the retirement space for really quite some time. It's the same 408B2 provision of ERISA. And so, you know, all of the guidance around those disclosures are really germane um, to sort of this process as well. And those of us who have been in the space have been looking um, at those um, at the at the regulations there. Um, because there are no regulations issued here. And so we've been developing our processes in light of the guidance we have in retirement. And so with respect to group health plans, it's different because it applies to plans of all sizes. Like, you know, plans, in, you know, ERISA plans have disclosure or receive disclosure on their 5,500, right? And that's that's really when you only have a certain size plan, right, 100 or more um, employees, Um This applies to plans with fewer than 100 participants, so it goes all the way down, and that's new. The other thing that's new about it is sort of a timing thing. The importance of it, and again, remember the way Diana explains it, is you have to take a look at what your service providers, and that's what we're called under the statute, are being are being paid or what you know they're being compensated rather in advance of you know deciding whether to work with those service providers, and so you have to be, the disclosure has to come in advance of that decision rather than at the sort of the end of the plan year, which is when 5,500s um, are filed actually however many months after the plan year.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that's interesting here is this has always kind of been a, a fiduciary obligation that existed to make sure you are partnering partnering with the right people and that the compensation you are paying them is reasonable. Mm-hmm. This just really puts some teeth to it.
0: It does, that's right. And And we actually are going to have a webinar on fiduciary obligations, I think in, I don't know, a few weeks. Because what this does in transparency generally, so all the other provisions in transparency, really bring back to the forefront these really basic fiduciary duties that you as a plan participant have under ERISA. That, that maybe sort of for years as we've been wrestling with ACA and all these other things have sort of you know, faded in, into the background. And so um, I want to, so let me talk through some some of the specific points. You've noticed we invoked ERISA a lot. If you are a public sector plan not governed by ERISA, this does not apply to you. Or so a church plan not or, governed by ERISA. Or a church plan. That's right. And so you know if, if that's you know, your organization, you can stop listening. Um, That doesn't mean that the market may not sort of evolve in a way that disclosures become sort of standard practice there, but we're not there yet in terms of, we're certainly not a legal requirement. An important thing to note is it applies to group health plans, and that includes dental and vision plans that are generally accepted benefits and can fall outside of a lot of these obligations usually. It also applies to HRAs, health FSAs, Um, those plans were... Compensation usually isn't involved there, so you probably won't see a bunch of those. Um, and we also need to know, like wellness plans that provide medical care, EAPs, anything that's provide. It's a group health plan. is providing medical care. So, um, oh, but yeah. But
1: don't forget, they lumped stop loss in too, which I thought was Thank interesting you. because stop loss isn't typically part of our group health plan. No. It's not providing medical care, but I think it's an important element of compensation. So I think it's you know group health plans, medical care, and then randomly stop loss. Right. And then they they listed that in the statute. And the, the people who
0: wrote it were you know pretty familiar with the market you can tell the way they wrote it and you know that's the thing i get well hey stop loss is a group health fund you're right it's not but it is part of the disclosure process so you will see that and that's another difference um is that generally i don't think you were seeing that unless it was like a a, a funded plan so it does not apply to you know std ltd adnd you know life insurance these other um you know non-group health plan benefits or other quote voluntary benefits if they're legitimately outside of ERISA.
1: Well and let's not forget that your HSA is also not covered here. It's not providing medical care. It's not part of your group health plan. Yes. And so what should you expect to receive from your brokers? And, and again, this should be a
0: dialogue you're having with your brokers. Um, you know, they should be providing you this information as part of the sales process. And then at some cadence, you know, as, as you're continuing to engage and make decisions, and I'm, you know, I'm sort of getting ahead of myself, but Alliant has developed a process that is specifically designed to ensure, you know, to facilitate your compliance um, and be as you know, transparent about the comp. And um, and so we look forward to sort of working with you on that. And if you have any questions, you definitely should ask your Alliant folks. But um, it will include indirect income and direct income. So direct income is what you as an employer may be paying a consultant or a broker directly. You know, so everyone knows that. It's kind of it's silly to have to disclose that. But that's the sort of difference between the employer and the plan. But that is covered under the statute. So what is... What are you know? What are you as an employer plan sponsor paying your broker, and then indirect fees, which is really going to be probably the lion's share of the compensation that you'll be you know you'll be receiving disclosure about, which is insurance commissions, right? Commissions from medical carriers, dental carriers, stop loss, vision carriers, um, just most commonly how um, brokers and consultants are compensated. Um, Compensation, you should expect, you can res- you can see it in a number of different ways. The statute allows brokers and consultants to disclose, you know, either a percentage of, you know, premium, a dollar amount, or a per employee per month. All of those are very common ways in which, you know, business is done. And the statute also allows, okay, because, you know, those of you who are familiar with the sales cycle... Uh, there may be a time at which you're deciding to work with a Alliant or Broker A or Broker B or whoever the case may be, and they're presenting to you. And ultimately, their compensation will be dictated by the benefit plan decisions you make, right? So then at that stage, they are permitted to give you a range of what the compensation may be based on history or what they know. And it's it's a reasonable estimate at that time. And so where you see a range, that's why you're seeing it.
1: So, I mean, that that's an interesting element here of the requirement to provide the disclosure in advance yep. because those decisions aren't going to be made in advance so again it's that that good faith effort that estimate and then something then later on confirming exactly. actual comp and then uh, what happens if compensation changes
0: if compensation changes and, and usually we don't see it change throughout the course of the year but if it does the broker has 60 days to let you know that there's been a comp change so let's say you decide to add an insured light of coverage let's say and and the broker's going to get paid on that. If that's new, that will need to be disclosed within 60 days. Usually, most brokers you see should have a built-in process. Again, I know at Alliant we do, the way we confirm those decisions, and we're folding this disclosure process smoothly into that. It should feel pretty seamless. You should start to notice that you know in your renewals, in your
1: decision-making process. Certainly at Alliant, and I would, I would hope and imagine at other brokers as well. Um, so it's interesting. I think, you know, clients of all sizes are going to start to see this, and it's going to be different than what you've seen historically. You know, if you saw commissions on a 5500, it's going to look mm-hmm. different. It's going to be something in addition. And, and I think it's, um, it's going to be an important piece of transparency.
0: For sure. And, and also, you know, should understand, too, they may look different from broker to broker, consultant to consultant, um, because everyone's doing this without the benefit of regulations. And, you know, things may shift and move and change. Um, but I know, you know, here at Alliant, we're you know working diligently to bring this proactively to you in a way that's clear and transparent, easy to understand. Also, understand this this is in place whether you have like a governing service agreement or you do business by BOR. It doesn't matter. There needs to be a written disclosure. And there's a number of things that have to be in the disclosure, You know whether we're doing, you know, performing duties as a fiduciary, what services are being performed. So if you start to see more words around your renewal, that's probably why, because um, the statute is requiring um, that specific information, again, all to the aim of you and your capacity as a plan sponsor fulfilling your ERISA
1: fiduciary duty. So I think with that, we talked really fast, I think. We did talk fast, but it was good information. Yeah, well, you know, at least we think so. So
0: um, thanks for joining us. Um, if you have any questions on broker disclosure, definitely ask your Alliant representative. Um, I'm sure you'll start seeing um, this information in your um, in your uh, interactions with your Alliant folks and other brokers, and we'll talk to you soon.